I am Alon Ben-Mir, and welcome to On the Issues. My guest today is Tzvi Bisk, director of the Center for Strategic Futurist Thinking and author of the book, The Suicide of the Jews. You can find his full bio on the page for this episode. So anyway, no, I mean, it's not like formality, but you know, we can, we can talk about anything you want, but let's talk about your book. Our, finally, I read it, like I said, mm-hmm. and let's, let's begin with the issue with, um, you know, you have the premise, um, and I think you made a very, very strong case that current Israeli policies and, um, the Jewish experience in general that we're going through right now uh, could lead eventually to the extermination of what you call the suicide of the Jews. And that unless something... It won't be an extermination. No, no. It'll, it'll be an erosion. Erosion, that yeah. It's like, you know, the, the central, the, cent, the centrality of Israel to the, to the Jewish experience since the creation of state. I don't. Th- I think it's self-evident. I mean, even the so-called anti-Zionists are anti-Zionists, yeah. Jews in terms of Zionism. Yeah. You know, what I mean, they wouldn't have an identity. That's right. It's kind of uh, yeah. ironic. But I, I just think that if I look at our present policy, look, I, I put it this way: I, uh, I think that the settler movement and the settler culture. And the way the settler culture has influenced Israeli political discourse and Jewish political discourse and social discourse is more dangerous to the future of Israel than the Iranian bomb. Yeah, I I, I, I agree. I agree. I just wanted to, to to tell me how do you see that? I mean, what would eventually the settler movement certainly is going to contribute to that? How do you see that? progressing in that direction because you're futuristic okay I say I say to people say we can defeat the Palestinians I say that's what I'm afraid of I'm afraid of the Palestinians giving up I'm afraid of the Palestinians saying okay we no longer want a Palestinian state we're not going to get it well they're already saying that yeah over 50% by the way are saying one state yes and then if it becomes one man one vote like in South Africa then it's just a matter of time. We cannot fight that. We cannot say we can be a democracy and That's drive obviously. over half the people or half the people or even 40% of the people occupying the land of Israel of their civil rights. There's no such thing. You know, Lincoln said we can't be a state, we can't be a country half slave and half free. We'll either be all slave or all free. That was why it was against slavery. You can't be a country that's half democratic and half non-democratic. You're either one or the other. And that means constitutionalist protections in terms of what modern democracy means. Modern democ- When we say democracy, we mean constitutionalist democracy. Exactly. Yeah. We don't mean majoritarian democracy. Mm-hmm. Hitler was a majoritarian democracy. He was, he was elected democratically. He formed his coalition democratically and... You can even say that Stalin was a, a totalitarian democrat. Most people supported him. People forget that. Most people support Castro in Cuba. Now you could say, yeah, they were brainwashed because yeah, because they, 
if you erase constitution, if you destroy the press, if you call the press the enemy of the people and undermine them, you're allowed to criticize the press. The press is like anything else. It can be a whorehouse just like the political scene can be. Uh, there's no question. I mean, I, I think agree. it was Thomas Jefferson that said, uh, if I had to choose between a free press and a Congress, I would choose the free press over the Congress. That's right. I, I absolutely agree with you. I just wanted to try to draw a sort of a scenario. Okay. How do you see that evolving? I absolutely agree that the current situation that is where the, the states, the two-state solution is losing ground day after day. It'll start in Jerusalem. Yeah. Okay. We're talking about the unified Jerusalem. Now, to make things clear, we have to understand something like 60 to 70% of so-called East Jerusalem, what we annexed, for the 3,000-year history of Jerusalem was never part of Jerusalem. It's about 60 or 70 villages that are all slums that were never part of Jerusalem, ever. That's number one. But let's say, okay, we unified, unified in averted commas, we unified Jerusalem. By the very fact, under Israeli law, by the very fact that they are residents of Jerusalem, they can vote in the Jerusalem elections. The Arabs of East Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Up until now, they haven't done that. Because they have this crazy thing about honor, the Arabs. Oh, yeah. 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 They're, oh, honor. We're not, you know, which is sort of a synonym for stupid. They can vote in the Jerusalem elections. Now, I'm saying, okay, you've won because you have a whole new, I'm talking about, let's say, young Palestinian leadership coming up, you know, post Abbas, post all these ancient guys, people who were born after the creation of the state, people who were born after 67. Okay, we need a whole new... We need our rights. We have to live. You know, there's thousands of these Jerusalem Arabs that are applying for Israeli citizenship because they want to get into universities and things like that. You know, okay, what if they vote in Jerusalem in the next Jerusalem election? I think there's something like uh, 31 members of the Jerusalem City Council. If they vote as a block, they'll get 10, 12, 13. At least, at least. If they join with the Haridim, with the ultra-Orthodox, they're an absolute majority. Now, as it is, secular and modern Orthodox Jews are leaving Jerusalem in droves because of the Haridi influence. If it's joined to the Arabs, it's the end of Jerusalem. It becomes... Jerusalem will be ruled by anti-Zionist parties. The capital of the Zionist state will be ruled by anti-Zionist parties. I mean, we'll have to fly in to the Knesset with helicopters. <laughs> yeah. So it will start there, and that will be a psychological thing. When we have national elections, they can set up uh, faux voting booths, say, you know, and we'll try to break them up, and that will be all over the evening news, all over the world. We're, you know, we want to vote too. This is our country. But let's go beyond Jerusalem, though. Okay. Let's go beyond Jerusalem. Again, I want to refer to the book, the, okay. your book. So let's further develop the scenario. What was it going to bring to what you, what you term the suicide of the Jews? If you were to continue with this current scenario that you started. 
Well, it's, it's multifaceted. It's not just the Palestinians. It's the fact that because of this culture, loyalty now to the Jewish people, given the Israeli political establishment, which is right-wing, is loyalty to the settlement project. Yeah. For example, they're, they, they're going to have the, the Italian, um, what do they call it, the, uh, when the, the bicycle thing, uh, when, they, when they have the, like, you have the French, when they have these huge bicycle races, what are they called, that, that Armstrong was in? And yeah, yeah, the... The tours. Yeah, the Tour d'Italia. Yeah. It's the yeah. Tour de France. Okay. Yeah. Well, these tours started in other countries, like the Tour de France last time started in England. This year they wanted to start in Israel. Tour d'Italia. So they write, we'll start in West Jerusalem. Of course they wrote West Jerusalem. Our wonderfully sophisticated minister of culture said we're not going to support it. <laughs> okay, what is my point? Loyalty to Israel is now dictated about your attitude towards Arabs and Muslims in general, which spills over into the settlements. This explains why Bibi and other Likudniks cozy up to these right-wing fascists in, East, in Eastern Europe. American Jews can't understand what, what's, what's going on here. This guy said the, the guy that was an ally of uh, the present prime minister, the ally of Hitler, was a great uh, patriot. Oh, we don't, we don't have a problem with that. Let him attack Soros. Soros is evil because Soros is against the settlements. This guy is good because he's at least indifferent. Mm -hmm. So that's the... Okay. That's one angle. As long as we can keep the ultra-Orthodox happy, we'll screw American Jewry. Because the ultra-Orthodox keep us in power, and us in power, that supports the settlements. I, had a I heard a very, I can't, it can't be proved, but it's very logical, why it takes eight to ten years to have a real estate project, a building project in, in, in Israel proper, and why it makes uh, housing so expensive. It's done purposely. They want people to move to the West Bank. Yeah, and there it takes, it takes uh, less than a year. Less than a year. A year. Less than a year. Even a year. And, 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 for the same, and half the price for the same house. Yeah, yeah. So you have what they call the, what we call the bourgeois settlements, not the ideological settlements. That's right. People who are young couples who wanted to, they couldn't afford to the housing. They have better housing, better views, cleaner air, yeah. and cheaper. Yeah. Much cheaper. And if you live there, it's easier to get government jobs. Everything, yeah. in other words, everything is focused to that one thing. When I talk about the settler culture influencing politics, I'm talking about that. So right now we're alienating diaspora Jewry, especially American Jewry, with utter contempt. I blame American Jews for this, that they put up with it. You know, I mean, uh, Israelis have been peeing on American Jews for years, and American Jews open up umbrellas and thank God for rain. You know, no, you have to tell the Israelis are peeing on us. I think it's about time the American Jews woke up and said, You're peeing on us. We're not going to take it anymore. I think they started to, you know, they now started they are. To it's a bit late. That. It's a bit late. And then also it manifests itself with less and less younger American Jews are coming to Israel. And, uh, and those who come, many of them are getting disillusioned rather quickly and go back.
which is really a very interesting phenomenon. It didn't it was another interesting phenomenon yeah. now. The millennials of the evangelicals, of the under 35 evangelicals, support for Israel is less and less. It's about equal as support for Palestinians. Yeah. In other words, these Israelis say, oh, we can give up American Jews because we've got the evangelicals and they're 40, 50 million and they're really, you know, really pro-Israel. History happens. And history matters. And history evolves. People forget that before 1967, Israel's special relationship was with France and the European left, the That's European right. socialists. That's right. Who, when they were arguing with them, they said, see, if you're a socialist, you're before Stalin. They say, no, look at the kibbutz, look at the institute. Now our, our special relationship is with the United States and the evangelicals. That's right. But that too can change. And I think it's changing. It is changing. It is changing already, absolutely. First of all, there's a lot of evangelicals that are people of color and Hispanic, and they have a different view of things. And then you have the younger evangelicals who might even have a university education, who might be a little more sophisticated, still support Israel, but not uncritically. And if it comes to a one-man, one-vote, and if, if the Palestinians are smart enough to read about Martin Luther King and Gandhi, and change their whole thing into a non-violent thing, we're done. Okay. We're done. But you saying we're done, we're done, say, politically, because of demographics. That is, we, Israel cannot have it both ways. It cannot have a democracy. It cannot. Exactly. It just cannot. Okay, how would that now evolve into the much more severe uh, scenario that you are developing? Well, the same thing that we talked about. This would be, in my opinion, would alienate 70-80% of world Jewry. Yeah. Would alienate a huge number of the elite of Israel. What would happen to Israel itself? What would happen to the Jews here? What would happen here? That I don't know. I think a lot would leave. See, what the, also the other things the Israelis don't know, we, we brag about startup nations. You know, high tech and everything. What they don't understand, these people, it's that startup nation can get on an airplane and leave the country tomorrow. It's not like you have steel and coal and automobiles and factories and stuff. It's all brains. These guys could export their entire company as an attachment to an email, could put it on a flash drive and put it in their pocket and get on a plane, and go to America, plug it into a computer, and they have their... Now, they would still have the brains here, but believe me, any country in the world would make it easier for these kind of brains to immigrate. I tell people I could bring Israel to its knees by taking one or 2,000 people out of the country, the top people. Civilizations are already run, always run by elites. You know, it's snobby to say that, but it's true. What the what you, you couldn't you couldn't America wouldn't let these people in Canada wouldn't let these people in Australia wouldn't let these people in England no. wouldn't let these people in they are trying to they they're trying to get them, them anyway they want them they want sure. them badly of course of course I mean we see this already I mean you see Silicon Valley yeah. I, mean, I read somewhere that fifty percent of the PhDs in Silicon Valley were born in China or in India yeah. 
yeah, the one, the Israelis, the French, and the, you know, it's like, so America, you know, all these people that are against immigration in America, I said, you know, believe me, you could trade Kentucky and Montana and it wouldn't uh, be half of what Silicon Valley is worth in terms of economics. You know what I mean? No, I mean, it's, 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 it's very... These people could go anywhere. Yeah. They're mobile. I mean, it's already happening. I, I saw some statistics that suggest nearly 700,000 Israelis are in New York and in, in, in the States. In the States. And the majority of them are New York City, no, New York State. LA is really true. LA, LA, yeah. But vast majority of them are also in New York. No, you know, the ironic thing is the Zionism wanted to create this rooted, earthbound Jew, not the mobile Jew, you know, the wandering Jew. The young Israeli who served in the army and went to university is probably the most cosmopolitan young person on the face of the planet Earth. That's the irony of it. You yeah. drop him, you know, they serve in the army. They're already 22 years old before they're freshmen in university. Uh -huh. They've been officers. They've been in charge of millions of dollars worth of equipment. They've controlled and organized stuff. Then they take a trip around the world. Yeah. Crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. They go to places nobody in the world goes. I mean, you go to places like in South America where they say the Israelis are crazier even than the Australians. And the Australians are pretty crazy, it seems. You know, they go to places nobody goes. And they come back and, and they're not afraid to fail. Israelis have no shame in failing. They try to fail. Okay, I try it again. Try they go up again. Try again. Try it again. That's right. They're, they don't care, which is great for the modern economy. Risk means nothing to them. These are the kind of people that can go anywhere. They speak fairly good English compared to the rest of the non-English speaking world. And they're fairly sophisticated. And they could, you drop them anywhere, they live. In other words, I, don't, I can't be specific about what's going to happen, but I, if I was a Palestinian strategist, I, I could tell you what I would do. I, I, was, I will tell you the Palestinian, wait a minute, but so to speak. Wait. I mean, time is against Israel, 100%. Oh, a, a lot of them are saying that. Now. Yes, wait. You know, they don't, have, they don't need another antifada. Okay. It they might not happen in my one. lifetime, but my grandkids, in another yeah. 100 years, it'll be, and they have that attitude. Jews are impatient. Yeah. Arabs are very patient. That's a temperamental thing. I know people say, well, that's not politically correct because you're making stereotypes and this, that, the other. But I think certain cultures are, are impatient and certain cultures are patient. Jewish culture is impatient. That's why Jews are always like at the forefront of stuff. You know, new, new entrepreneurial things and new social things and more active in this. And they're impatient. Jews are impatient. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this also comes, I agree, this comes also from a sense of perpetual insecurity. Yes, no, what it comes from, yeah, I, yeah. I yeah. And, and so they try to sort of, you know, focus on more than, more than one thing at a time. Yeah. This is very true. So, so let's take it further, and then what? Look, you know, I was just in the hospital. About 50 to 60% of the staff in the hospital were Arabs. Doctors, nurses, male and female. I had four doctors saw me, only one was Jewish. You know, this is another thing. The stereotypes have been turned upside down in Israel. 
There's a higher percentage of Arab doctors to the population than Jewish doctors to the population in Israel. And why? Because Jews are impatient. That's what I'm going to study 10, 12 years and then try to make a living. The Arabs are more patient. Not only that, medicine is one of the only places in Israel where there's not the structural discrimination. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And also it's a status job. And they're an honor society. They go into medicine. Jews want to go into high tech. The Jews go in science or math or goes into high tech. Arabs go into medicine. I don't know. It depends on how what they feel, because you know what's happening with the young Arabs in this country is it's interesting too. I don't I don't think they identify with what's going on in the Arab world, but I can't speak for them. You know, they, would they like to live in a country that's totally Yudenrein and be taken be another Arab country like Jordan or Lebanon or whatever? I'm not so sure. You know. <laughs> you so know? what you, are, are you suggesting that what you are seeing it's continuing attrition? of Jews leaving this country, getting disenchanted. Even the ones that stay. Okay, look at this way. I, I was in the Israeli army, was in the American army, had an honorable discharge from the American army. I came here, I was drafted here, and then I served in the Israeli army, and I did about 15 years of reserves. If you're the kind of officer that's very good at the occupation, it doesn't mean you're going to be a good officer fighting the Syrian commandos. It's a different kind of talent, talent mm -hmm. in inverted yeah, commas. Yeah, of course. It's a different kind of personality. When I started my, I was drafted in 71, fought in the Yom Kippur War, 73. When I first was doing my first re reserve duty, I was doing maybe a total of 30 days a year which was divided as five days a year of exercises, military exercises where you imitate warfare. Mm -hmm. Really, the Israeli army really does this, by the way. It's not, it's not playing games. And 20 days doing guard duty at various uh, settlements and stuff like that. By the time I finally got out of the army of active duty, in 83, that was the last time actually, we were doing 40 days a year and doing two or three days of exercise every other year. Wow. So what happens in the Lebanese war? I'll give you an example, an anecdote. And we did all our training at night. There's something about fighting at night which is empowers the person who's initiating and makes the people who are being attacked fearful. So they go into Lebanon, and this uh, unit, this tank unit, uh, gets an order to go attack this village at night. And in five minutes, the guy comes back and says, we can't do that. I said, why not? I said, we didn't do any training at night. So there's also this great, wonderful Israeli army that pound for pound is the greatest army in the world. If that's how you're splitting up your time, guarding the settlements, and, and doing uh, maqsumim, uh, what do you call maqsumim? Yeah, bar barriers. Bar bar yeah. Barricades and, uh, yeah. and, and, and making night raids at 2, 3 in the morning into villages and stuff like that. When it comes to a pitched battle, you're not going to be too good at it. You follow what I'm saying? In other words, oh, no, it's an no. erosion of quality all along the line. 
that See, Nuki, caused you by know, this. during this war in, in uh, 2006, which lasted um, 50 days, mm -hmm. we were then questioning what the heck is going on. Was it, was it, what is it that's taken a place that Israel could not wind this up in a week or two? Because, you know. Well, I'll tell you what the right wing will say. So what happened? We're not ruthless enough. Yeah, well, yeah. We, can, we oh, take into consideration too much civilian but, casualties. But, but in the end, there was investigation, as you well know. Yeah. And exactly confirming what you just said. There was a mess. It's a mess. Yeah. And finally, they had to send different kind of units in order to, to clean up and finish the war. They also sent units in, and people got killed because they had the wrong equipment. Wars are won by logistics. If you give people the wrong equipment, they're going to get killed. And to, your, to your best uh, knowledge, has this changed now somewhat? Probably has, but still at the immediate level, at the proximate level, at the army level per se, it's probably much better now. But in the general cultural level, look, both my boys were asked to go to officer school and both declined. They did not want to be officers. Why? Are they still in the army or they're out of the army? Oh, they're out of the army and they don't, and they try to, and they get out of reserves as much as they can. Uh -huh. And by the way, awful lot of, and nobody, nobody has ever brought up on charges for getting out of reserves anymore because they'd have to put half the country in jail. I'm sorry, come again? They try to get, when they, you know, used to be called up every year. Yes, yeah. They don't go. And there's no repercussion? No, no. None. So they're not the only ones. Very few, very few people who are educated and have any kind of, I would call democratic decency, don't feel great about serving. Look at the officer corps now. It's disproportionately religious. Yeah, yeah. The Dispro and, and, and disproportionately settler. Yeah. So you got the settler culture and everything. You got you got one person on the Supreme Court who is a settler. So you have this erosion of what I would call enlightenment values that were part and parcel of the of the Israeli Declaration of Independence. Which you know sort of sort of acknowledge the you know, Universal Declaration of Human Rights kind of thing. You know everybody's got rights and this stuff. I remember some years ago they wanted to make the Declaration of Independence a basic law of the country, mm -hmm. and the religious and the right wing were against it because there's a couple of paragraphs in there that that serve almost as a kind of bill of rights, the equivalent of you know we don't have a written constitution. I know, but I know. if it's a basic law is our constitution. Yeah. And if this was adopted, it would like limit half the stuff that they do and they do legally in inverted commas, you know. Not particularly constitutionally, but certainly legally in the present situation. So that's it. You know, it's a, it, if 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 your one judge of loyalty is for example they're introducing a law now that if I come out and say I'm not going to buy any products from the settlements 
I can go to jail for three years if I say that. Or I can be sued by a settler up to 500,000 shekels or something. I don't know, some crazy amount. And he doesn't have to prove damages. Just the very fact that I say that. That's what they're pushing. Those are the kinds of laws they're pushing. Yeah. There's another law they're pushing now about, you know, the power from the, of the police. Oh yeah, limiting the power to investigate corruption. Not only the police, the the uh, the state controller. They want to limit the power of the state controller that he doesn't release things. At the time that he discovers, in other words, he only releases them when it's too late, when this money's already been stolen. Yeah. There's a lot of things, and everything is because if it's good, for the settlements. There's two visions of Zionism. One is saying Zionism, we're going to come back to our, our ancestral homeland to recreate the past. And that is the view that is dominant today. The view that appealed to me, and which was the view of the founding fathers of Israel, and that is Ben-Gurion, Weizmann, and I would even say Jabotinsky, Jabotinsky, he's turning in his grave today what the people are in his name are doing because he was a constitutionalist mm -hmm. he believed in full rights for the Arabs but that's right no he was more of a constitutionalist than Ben-Gurion in, in, in that respect no the, the purpose of Zionism is to create alternative future options for the Jewish people options plural yeah, yeah. so we can create a new future that the past has a voice but not a veto. Absolutely, it's a guide. It's a guide. It's an inspiration, yeah. but it's not a diktat. And we're not dictated to by the past. You know, I don't care if Abraham, Father Abraham, took a nap on this hill. I really don't care. You know, yeah. Even if he existed, he existed. Didn't exist. Makes no difference. I don't care if King David did this here. There's a story about Ben-Gurion having an argument with um, a Bundist. The Bundist is, people who don't know, is somebody who advocated the Yiddish language and the Yiddish culture, and which Ben-Gurion really hated. And the Bundist got so exasperated, says, what, a thousand years of history isn't important? And Ben-Gurion very kindly said, yes, the next thousand years is more important. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's, you know, not, not the past, but the future. And you look at all the great civilizations in the world, all the great cultures in the world, and they're future-oriented. America is the perfect example, the United States of America. That's like the total future civilization. I mean, do you, do you really see uh, a sort of slow demise of Israel as we know it? Not in my lifetime. Look, Israel is very robust. Israel, you look at things other than the settler thing. I'll give you, I came in 1967. No, no, but given, given everything you're saying, this, the attrition, the erosion. It'll take much longer than a lot of people on the left think, in my opinion. It won't be in my lifetime and maybe not in the lifetime of my kids. But by the end of this century, look in my book, I say by 2048. 
you know, like 100, I did this thing 100 years, you know, founded in 48, 2048, and maybe 20, 30, 40 years, I don't know, it's like, but Israel's what, what would be then, 20, 30, 40 years? No idea, either no Jews, or just some kind of mediocre Middle Eastern state, nothing qualitative about it, nothing special about it. Impoverished, and because of what? Because because a lot of the elites will leave. By the way, a lot of the Arab elites will leave too. They are leaving. They'll leave too. Yeah. They don't want to put up with this stuff. They are getting sick and tired of it. Yeah. You think they're sick? They don't know that the Palestinian Authority is one of the most corrupt things on the face of the planet Earth. Did you know the Palestinians have received four times the amount of aid? per individual than the Europeans received under the Marshall Plan and they're still in the toilet no you're right you know I had a group just recently in Brussels before I came here Palestinian Israelis and several of the Palestinians said to me if I had an opportunity to leave I leave tomorrow if I could get a visa tomorrow to the United States or Britain anywhere in the EU I would leave tomorrow I don't have any there's no prospect for me anymore so, so many Israelis who were in the same group, a few of them said the same thing. My son, my youngest son is helping. She, he has a friend, a woman, an Arab-Palestinian from East Jerusalem. He's trying to help her get a job in Haifa. She's a scientist, she's very qualified. She, she doesn't want to live with these people. Her people. Yeah. So do you so, think there is anything can be done, should be done, if you were to to reverse the trend? Yeah, if I'm that right. is practically speaking, if, in if, the practical terms. Yeah, I look. I, I I think looking for the big deal that Trump brags about that's going to make the greatest deal in the world in the Middle East is it's nonsense. The greatest deal in the world was on the table in two thousand at Camp David. And it was turned down by Arafat. Okay, but that's gone. That's, that's passe. Gone. So I talk about mitigating rather than resolving. I don't think you can resolve this situation in the near future. When I say near future, I mean the next 20, 30, 40 years. But you can certainly mitigate it. And what do I mean? Let's look at the present opportunity that Israel has if it had some kind of vision and courage in its political class. The Sunni Arab world is dying to make peace with Israel. Not because they love us, but because they're scared to death of Shiite Iran. Mm -hmm. And they're more scared of Iran than we are. And justifiably, we, we shouldn't be that scared of Iran, by the way. That's uh, really exaggerated. In my oh, I know, I know, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's a, but they are. But they say, well, we need some kind of progress on the Palestinian front. Mm -hmm. So I look at the West Bank. 18% area A, 30-some percent area B, and 50% area C. Area A is total control by the Palestinian Authority. Area B is mutual control. Area C is total control by us, by Israel. Go to Saudi Arabia, go to King of Morocco, go to whoever you go to. So listen, we're willing to go from 18% to 30% in area A. Make 30% of the West Bank area. We went five or six Arab countries 
to establish diplomatic relations with us, set up an embassy, like Egypt and Jordan. But do you think they'll go for that, an incremental base? That's the only game in town, in my opinion. If they don't go for that, then there's no hope for anything. No hope for anything. I, think I so. mean, if, they, if there's a... And then, but on, on, say, this is not a final thing, then we'll go from 30% to 40% for another three or four. I know. If, that, if you want to do that in stages, provided there is some kind of framework that has been presented in advance, I mean, they need to see the ultimate picture of what's going to look like, and they'll probably be prepared to go in stages to do exactly what you're saying. Ultimate visions that are too detailed can be a barrier because then people begin to argue on the details. No, the opposite of just a vision of what, how it's going to look okay. like. The Camp David vision. I said, in general, the Camp David vision with minor changes. Yeah. We're still willing to go to that. And then do it incrementally along the line of what you say. And, and build mutual confidence along the way yeah, that gives the Israeli yeah. public more confidence, yeah. gives the Palestinians more confidence that they can compromise here without oh, worried yes. about being screwed. Yeah. That's the only game I would... And I would go to the Europeans. I would say to the Europeans, listen, we're going to have a problem about land swaps. You know, we're going to keep, we're going to keep the land within the barrier, but we'll give... That's not going to happen. So why don't you build islands off of Gaza? Like they build in Qatar and all these places, islands, you know using islands of the same land area that and let us as an interim stage annex this area within the barrier make it part of Israel that's not occupied anymore that's now Israel but they get the equivalent well what's wrong with land swap because where are you going to give it we want Is where are you want? going to give it who or to where where are you going to take it from? Well, I mean, they've been talking about it. I, mean, I know, maps, but nobody's specific. When you maps think of, and maps. I know, produced, but when you think I've about it specifically, you think about it specifically, it's not going to happen. Yeah, specifically. I mean, no, there were actually specific maps that have been produced. Yeah, I know, but it's not going to happen. There's right. psychological things about this and there's practical things. If you're going to expand Gaza, you have to take down 20 Israeli settlements that are within Israel proper. I'm not talking about Gaza. I'm well, that's where land swaps are going to go. Okay, by the West Bank. We land swaps is we keep part of the West Bank and give part of Israel proper. Yeah, but Israel proper is basically south, um, you know, south uh, east of, of uh, whatever. I'm I'm saying this is the, something I would say to the Europeans, and you give them an international airport on these islands, like you have in Hong Kong, international port. We're willing to do that. Tit for tat. Tit for tat. Throw things out. Get them in the conversation. Get them to say, oh, this is interesting. Maybe it can't be done. Get it. Get. I say the peace process per se is Israel's greatest strategic asset. Whenever there's a vigorous process, we're the, we're the flavor of the month. Yeah, but they are not using it. That's a problem. I you know the Process just remain in name. There is no progress in this process. And so no can, one, so yeah. make the peace process substantive. Yeah, yeah. Make it sort of a reverse erosion. 
Look, we don't want to be there anyway. You talk to the average Jewish mother in Israel. Oh, you want your kid to be guarding a settlement? Are you kidding? No, of course not. Of course not. Are you kidding? You're scared to death. In conclusion. Yeah. <laughs> in conclusion, the, the, the racist canard that the Jews are smarter than other people has been totally disproven by the Zionist project. Give us power and we're just as stupid as everybody else. Okay? I, I'd say amen to that. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode on the issues. You can find this podcast on my SoundCloud page and stay tuned to my social media accounts for the latest analysis and announcements.